So Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, we're going to continue on the subject of the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of Pythos from Acts chapter 16. It's very relevant because the Lord has been telling me that all the way back, maybe three years, two years, uh, we're struggling with this in our church. There There is a principality trying to keep us from where we're supposed to go. And as I told you last Sunday, the Lord told me there's no good reason you're not in revival. And when the Holy Spirit himself says that, come on, like what? Like, how, how do you reply? How do you respond to that? How do you respond to the Lord saying, there's no good reason you're not in revival? That's telling you that we're missing something. And the, the big key that the Lord keeps telling me is that we, we need to put Jesus at the top of everything again. If he be lifted up, he draws them into him. That's, that's fact. However, you can't do that as long as you allow other things to compete with the top. Okay, so if I, have, if I have things in my life that I'm like, Jesus, you're Lord of this, but you're not Lord of that, he's not Lord of anything. I told you Tuesday night, he will not, come on, he will not save what he cannot own. And so the Lordship of Jesus is required for the salvation of Jesus. You cannot, it's a lie of the devil that someone created that you can make Jesus your Savior, but not your Lord. It's not biblical at all. At all. It's not, it's not, there's not a thread of that in the scriptures. Uh, actually, even to take the, if you even find him being called Lord or Savior, they're almost always attached even in this text. Okay. But there's no inkling from Jesus ever that you can follow him without denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following him. That is a uh, choice of death. That is, it's, you know, your, your way or the highway. I mean, it's, it's I'm in or I'm out. It's all in or I'm all out. It's I, I submit or I don't. And that is the requirement to come to Jesus, that the blood of Jesus washes our sins away at the place that we completely humble ourselves in repentance, and then we completely lean on him in faith. You can, I say completely. Come on, wake up. It's a completion. It is an absolute. It is I'm all the way. Now, he will then process your life. Amen. And he will show you, don't do this and do this. And you're led by the Holy Spirit. We learn in the process. But there's a absolute commitment. I keep a poster on my wall in my, in my office of the famous German painting called Salvation. And it's the picture of the woman that's on, she's clinging to a cross that is in the middle of the ocean. And the cross is on a little small spot of, of uh, you know, island. And there's nowhere to go except hold on to the cross. And she's clinging to it in desperation that if she lets go, she'll die. And the title is Salvation. This is the picture we must uh, apply to our lives. Uh, that Even the word believe in the New Testament means to adhere to. It means to recognize. It means to submit to. It's a picture of giving up my will for what he says. It's I submit to what Christ says. And in, his, in the submission to his lordship, I find salvation. Are you here? Come on. You have to be breakable. Okay, come on. You have, to, you have to be bendable and breakable. You have to say, God, it's not my way. It's not my, the, the great sin that keeps us from God is the one of I don't want to. We call that stubbornness. It was the judgment on the people of God in the wilderness for 40 years. They were considered stiff-necked and stubborn. It, what is stubborn? It's that don't push me. Don't tell me. Don't, 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 uh, don't ask me. I don't want to. That's not my thing. I don't feel. Every time I ever hear someone say, well, I don't really like doing evangelism. I, I'm like, you need to get born again. Well, I don't, I don't want to receive the Holy Spirit. You need to get born again. Well, I don't, I don't know if I believe in healing. Get, I'm not kidding. Get born again. And here's why I say that. Because those are hindrances from the freedom of reading the Bible, believing it, and putting it into practice. And anything that is keeping you where you're like, well, I don't know if I believe this, and I don't know if I want to be this, and I don't. And you're in this constant place of like, well, I don't know because I don't want. 
And I, I don't know what I feel about that. I constantly, I'm, I'm instantly like, get born again because that shows me a part of your life that's not breakable before God. It's, it's, it's stubborn. It's stiff-necked, okay? And so uh, we have to come out of this kind of season in our church. We have to battle this thing that's keeping us from being completely free. And we've been studying the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of Pythos from Acts 16. These are common things that many churches have taught on. There's probably much better teachers than I am on the subject. But I'm not speaking for the whole body of Christ. I'm speaking specifically for Deliverance Bible Church right here in Hearst. And what I see and what I see needs to shift. And so we have to be transparent people. We have to be open people. We have to be honest uh, and penitent people before the Lord and breakable and bendable people before the Lord. And if we can do that before the Lord, a church can then do that as a united body and God can do mighty things. And so Revelation chapter 2, it says, And to the angel of the church, verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God whose eyes who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow, that word is actually the word tolerate in English is a little better. You tolerate or allow that woman, and that word actually is wife. And I think that we should definitely look into that. And I say that to the ladies in the room. I want to give you grace and I want to help you. But it's worth looking at because although there's such a push in the body of Christ of like Jezebel's neither female or male, as I, I, I'm with you, I'm, I agree. Uh, and there's so much talk right now of like Jezebel can work through men as easy as they can. I, I believe it. I'm t- I know men that work in this thing. Uh, but in our church, Deliverance Bible Church, Hearsts, I told you I'm not speaking for the whole body of Christ. I'm speaking for this house right here. The place that I most... Uh, most prominent in this church since I came home in 2014 is I am seeing it not just in the women, but in wives predominantly. And that can hurt your feelings all you want, but I'm going to be bold and stand up to you. Because uh, maybe your husband can't stand up to you, but I'm going to stand up to you. And I'm going to tell you, if you're dealing with this, it's time to get set free. Because if you are constantly, and I, I'll just test the waters right now. If husbands, if you're in this room and you feel like every time God tells you to do something, you have to run it by your wife, you're dealing with a problem here. If every time, come on, if, if every time you feel you, you're going to go left, but th- she says it's stupid, so you go right, we got a problem here. Uh, every time, man, that you want to stand up strong and do what God says, but there's hindrance, there's argument. It's like you can't get out of the house and get to church because there's all kind of chaos. Man, you have a problem. You need to look at the person that sleeps on the other side of your bed. I mean, there's, there, I'm saying, Deliverance Bible Church, Hearst, I'm dealing with this house right here, and I'm seeing the issue uh if the if men if you're in this room and you feel very small and very like you, you feel like your your wife is more of a mother we got a problem if she come on if she's making your sandwich and, and fixing your i mean there's a problem on some level if you can't do things on your own and if you feel like she's the boss and you're not we got a problem if you feel like you have to ask her every time you need five dollars there's a problem every time you need to make a big decision she's got issues you got a problem i'm telling you if there's hindrance in you leading your family in prayer every night because you're not sure how mom thinks about it there's a problem. If there, there, there's, you got to start looking at this, husbands, because that's where I saw it predominantly. Now, that doesn't mean yell at your wife and freak out. What it means is deal with it. Let me say this. If you are scared of your wife because she starts using your whole name, there's a problem. Come on, somebody. Uh, do you know why this is a problem? Because the Jezebel spirit, as my wife has taught so much on a spirit that we in just process 
of life discovered is, is a spirit that was going by the name of Mother Instinct. Now, that's not in the scripture, but they, they coalesce, okay, in the sense of it was a female spirit uh, in the sense of manifesting in these ways. And it was control and witchcraft, and it was just something that was personal in our lives, okay? And through time, we realized, man, that thing is so, it's so attached to the Jezebel spirit, and it's a way of making men look small, so they can't be the head of their household, so they can't make right decisions, so they can't function in faith, and so they can't be fathers, and they can't be husbands. And you think, why is that an attack? Because God is father. Jesus is the husband to the church, and if we can destroy men in the Christian world where they cannot be fathers, so they cannot represent Father God, and where they cannot be husbands, so they cannot represent the bridegroom himself, then we have total breakdown in every other area. And suddenly we have a church that is emasculated and, uh, you know, castrated, I'd say it that way. And if you have, if you know anything about a eunuch, who are the people that hung out most with Jezebel, eunuchs don't generally have uh, generations to come. Do you hear me? Uh, someone has removed their masculinity, and now they do not have the ability to produce. And Jezebel does not want a church to stop existing. Jezebel wants a church to stop producing. So we start, you know, sending missionaries to the whole world. You think Jezebel is going to be okay with that? Uh, we start planting churches, and we start losing couple. Oh, man, my, my best friend, I was moving to Detroit. What am I going to do about this? Uh, that's, that's a Jezebel spirit working, saying, no, please don't, please don't. Wait, why are you stopping production? That's like someone telling you to have abortion on the way to delivery. Are you kidding me? Somebody, put it where, it, put it where you can hear it for a second. The things you fight for in the physical, I wish you'd fight for in the spirit. Come on, everybody here is trying to stop abortion. I bet if we stop some spiritual abortions first. Come on, the whole issue with abortion, what, are men the one fighting? Are they the ones fighting for abortion right now? Who's the, who's the mouthpiece for abortion? Is it female or male? Okay, so all the females in the church are like, we have to stop that, right? What would happen if the females in the church said, well, let's start. Let's start with destroying whatever is destroying the men in our lives and destroying our children in our lives. And, I mean, put things that I'm talking about in my church right now, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying that sometimes our physical concerns for, I just want to say this, and don't even, I don't, I don't care if you don't like it. Uh, many times the people that come through our church that are the most consumed with things like stop abortion and human trafficking are the ones that I watch out for the most. Because they're the ones that are the, they are the most dominating, uh, you know, honestly kill the church in the process. Because what they do is they take your eyes off of Jesus. They take your eyes off of the gospel. They take your eyes off of building strong marriages. They take your eyes off of everything. And they sidetrack you with these things that are, they, are, they sound like great causes. But I'm telling you, there's one cause. It's the gospel. You get people born again, you do a lot more good. And you get a lot more. There's a, I, I'm telling you, you get people born again, they stop having abortions. You get doctors born again, they stop performing abortions. Come on, you, you, come on, give me a pimp that can come to Jesus and he'll stop pimping. I mean, there's, there's, you, you, can, you can stop a bit, there's a bigger, why, why are we letting the devil blind us to the great uh, weapon that we carry, which is preaching the gospel? If he can get you distracted, you'll miss the point. Amen. And that's where I want to go with this. I just want to go back to this. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow or tolerate that woman or your wife, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So we have immorality and idolatry. And I want you to know why, why these two areas are so important. Because, uh, it, well, let me ask you this. If a man is, if a Christian man 
looks at pornography. Now, I've done enough counseling. I've done counseling with so many men. And guess what? I've never had a Christian man come to me and say, but I like looking at pornography. It's never happened. I've never had, I've never had anybody say that. They always say, I don't like looking at this. Please pray for me. I'm doing everything I can to get out. I don't know why this keeps coming. And people are like, well, let me ask you, does that man get stronger or weaker if he tells people about that? Now, the scripture says if you repent, you can be lifted up. But for some reason in the area of sexual morality, we remove ministers. We shut down ministries. We divorce husbands. Come on, are you getting the plan? Are you getting the concept here? Is that if Jezebel can get men to, and women, but to get men to fall into sexual morality, he will weaken them, watch, through their conscience of saying, I want to be right with God. I got to tell somebody. And then Jezebel's like, well, that means you're disqualified. And the whole body of, of Christ who doesn't have their lives in order to start off with, we're like, right, that disqualifies them. Like, I, I remember a great minister, anointed man. I love this guy. And they said, why is he? I said, why is he not pastoring his church? I said, that guy's anointed. They said, well, he came out and said seven years ago, he had had, he was, he had a homosexual relationship with one of his workers seven years ago, repented of it seven years ago. The Lord forgave him. And after seven years, someone was talking to him and said, that, you know, he said, I just feel like I need to tell you this. Seven years ago, this guy's anointed, man. I'm talking anointed, married, children. Still a man of God. I, I'm not. I, I, def, I just, I'll defend you and them, okay? I just, I just like to defend people with grace. I just love it, okay? So, so I, I, I will, I'm the one, that'll, I'll fight for you, okay? I'm telling you. You want to tell some terrible story? I'll be like, did you repent? Yes. Did the Lord forgive you? Yes. I am with you. Like, I am, I am so on your side. Who cares what all the Pharisees think? I'm with you, okay? And so this man, seven years prior, had this moment. It was not long. It was like one time, but it was something he had struggled with as a young man. God, just something happened. And he tells someone seven years later, and they remove him from ministry forever. And the question that I remember Bishop Jakes asked one time about someone else, he said, let me, he was talking about someone that we all know that had fallen into a similar one-moment problem. And he says, but they ministered for like five years after this problem. It had been confessed, it had been forgiven, it had been taken care of. He said, but no one knew about it. He says, were they anointed in that time or not? Did they, did they lose their anointing when they did it? Or did they lose their anointing when we found out? Meaning, who's in control of this anointing right now? Yeah, but we don't like it. Like, you have to understand, the, the body of Christ is built on grace. Like, can I, can I help you? The body of Christ is built on grace. Now, am I saying we should glorify wrongdoing? No, but when we do wrong and we confess our sins... Man, he is faithful, and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if it works for you, it works for everybody. The body of Christ is built and lasts and lives on grace. And the moment we get away from that, we stop being the body of Christ. And so it goes on and says, uh, so I, like I said, sexual morality is a way to beat down the leaders in our church. It is, okay? That's across the board and in the home. And it says, uh, verse 21, and I gave her, to, and far back, if I go back one verse, it says, and eating things sacrificed to idols. The picture there, are you with me today? The picture there of if you ate things sacrificed to idols is that they would do uh, pagan worship and they would kill an animal. Then when the animal is dead, what do you do with the carcass? They would sell it to the market. Okay, so someone would come up and buy in the market, you know, I don't know what they're eating, no, Chicken leg, I don't know what it is. It's been, it's been killed in the, in the temple, okay, in, in this pagan temple. And if you didn't know any better, Paul says, if you ate it, you didn't know it, 
you didn't do anything wrong because you didn't know it, and so don't worry about it. You didn't know. He says, but if you knew, don't do that because that's going to make other people stumble and they're going to think you have no regard for this religious ceremony they do. But the concept of, uh, of Jezebel is that she's trying to subtly draw the people of God into a form of idolatry and let them willingly and knowingly draw you away. And watch, we could say it this way, into another doctrine into another lifestyle, into another system. Uh, Ten years ago, we had people come to our church faithful, and then someone gave them a book. A book. And it's funny because in in hindsight, the book itself wasn't the worst book in the world, uh, but it was itching ears material. And it was so so God-sounding that people said, this book is making me feel good instead of right. Okay. I want to feel right in the sense of righteousness. I want to feel what God is saying instead of what makes me feel good. And that's the concept of the itching ears, is that you've had the word preached such and you don't like it. Then someone says, oh, forget what that guy says. Here's another way. Here's another system. Here's another idea. It's not that big a deal. And you have to understand, Paul's the one that talks about this exact problem. And Jezebel's like, it's not that big a deal. And she's even bringing in sexual morality. She's like, it's not that big a deal idolatry, not that big a deal. We're Christians. I'm inspired. I'm a prophetess. Don't worry about it. I have something to say. She's the whisperer that whispers in your ear as you're walking out of the church service that says, I don't know what pastor was talking about, but I've been thinking we should start thinking about this and we should start talking about this. It's a backbiter. It's a gossip. It's someone that calls you up the next day and and wants to deal with all your problems and know all your business so that they can somehow work it back around at you later. It's a form of witchcraft. It's a drawing the people away from the simplicity of truth into other things, into other thought processes, into confusion. And I'm telling you, as a church, we have to stick to the point. We have to stick to the gospel. We have to stick to Jesus. We have to glorify the cross and Christ upon it, him resurrected. We have to point our finger right there, Jesus. He's the point. Everything else comes under Jesus. Yes, we are in a pyramid scheme. I'm telling you, Jesus is at the top, and we're all reaping the benefits thereof. Okay. And so it goes on to verse 21, and I'm getting to the point here. It says, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual morality, and she did not repent. And I said last week, again, you'll have a footnote that says she did not want to repent. Uh, I I think it's very important that we know what repentance is. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, repentance is, uh, repentance is no, I'll say this way. We cannot justify ourselves right after we repent. That's really dangerous areas. If you have any form of uh, I, I did, shouldn't have done that. That was so wrong. But the deal was, see, my dad, my mom, my friend, I, I was having a bad day. It wasn't like that. I didn't mean to. Uh, that's not repentance. Repentance is I am absolutely, totally guilty. And Jezebel is like, uh, I could say, I just keep feeling like it's funny because this, this Jezebel spirit is probably like, uh, repent of what? You know, I'm not, what? Like, what did I do? I'm trying to help people. You know, I'm trying to do the right thing. And if, and if she got cornered, she might be like, okay, fine, fine. That was wrong, but, but come on. Like, like I don't I really want, I don't really want to, I, I want to say I'm sorry, but I don't want to repent. And I'm, there's a big difference. We've seen so many false confer- conversions over the year of people that come to the altar and they're like, I'm having a bad time. Lord, I'm sorry. And they walk right out and serve the devil. But it's the people that repent. They come to the altar and they know that they, they, they died to their old self. I still remember the day that Pastor Andrew got born again. I probably preached the worst sermon ever, but I said something in it that at the end of the meeting, he comes up here. No one else comes up here, I don't think. I think you're the only one. That's all I remember. And he just gets before the Lord and just begins to die, honestly. And just, when he got up, the old man was gone. 
And it was done. And he had come here many times. And he had probably prayed. And he had worshipped. And he had, I mean, he had gone, th- tried everything, I bet. Tried everything. Had a knowledge of God, but just wouldn't let go. Amen? But then there was a day he went, it's over. No more excuses. I'm dead. I die. I let go. I submit. You are Lord. Or, I mean, you are, I'm not, I, I bow myself before you and I die. You are Lord. And when he got up, he was never the same. Totally set free. Totally delivered of so many things. Set free. Different per. He got up a different person. Are you with me? He was what we call converted. And it says in verse 21, she didn't want to do that. She doesn't want... She doesn't want to. I'm going to say it again. She doesn't want to do that. She has too many good reasons not to repent. She has a list. There's a list of why is, it's not my fault. Why, it's not my, here's why it's not my fault. Are you with me? Have you ever met people like that? You're like, hey, I know you didn't mean to, but you actually hit me in the face with a baseball bat. You know, so I know you didn't mean to. And they're like, well, it's not my fault. See, the deal was, see, there was, you know, there was a fly and I was swinging and you just happened to be there. I'm really, so, goodness, I didn't mean to. And you're like, well, I'll be at the hospital for the rest of the day, you know, putting my face back together. And you are, you know, they don't even know how to say, I'm sorry. It's like this thing of, but I, I didn't do anything wrong. It's the list of, but I didn't do anything. I was, here's the thing that's so tricky about Jezebel is that Jezebel tries to do 99% of everything wrong, but 1% of good. So when you call her out for wrong, she goes, yeah, but I did the one thing good. I didn't do anything wrong. And then she loves to be around people that do 99% good, but 1% wrong in the sense of flipping it. Did I say that right? And so suddenly she says, oh, you think you're so good, but you did this one thing. It all comes down to, it's not me, it's you. And she says, I don't want to repent. It's not my problem, it's your problem. And it says in verse 22, it says, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I want to say something very bluntly is that our church has too many miscarriages. That's not, if, if you've had a miscarriage, that's exa- I'm on your side in this place. But we have too many. We have too, there's too, it happens too much. I have, I have not been in big churches that have as many miscarriages as Deliverance Bible Church in Hearst. Starting in about 2003 until now, we've had way, way, people are having multiples. That they'll be having children fine and suddenly miscarriage, miscarriage, miscarriage. Or they're trying for the first time for years, miscarriage. It's unnatural. It's, it's not normal. It's, I'm telling you, if you've had one, I'm on your side right now. Because I'd like to see it stop. But I believe that there's a connection between this pressure and the spirit we're dealing with. And if we don't deal with this thing, we, are, we will continue down the same road. And it's, it's, sometimes it's worth humbling yourself and going, man, if this is me, I break. Because why would I want to affect me and the people around me when it comes to things so seriously as children? And so I'll keep going. It says, uh, I will, it says verse... Uh, 23, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have the doctrine, this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And we usually stop here, but I'm not going to stop today. It says, verse 26, key verse, and he who overcomes, overcomes what? Overcomes Jezebel. Overcomes what? To he who overcomes. Overcomes what? Overcomes Jezebel. Overcomes this witchcraft spirit that puts pressure on the people of God that causes us not to produce. The miscarriage, the eunuch, they're both tied to each other. If they, come on, Jezebel wants to kill the baby in the womb. He wants to kill the, the masculinity of the man. And we stop producing spiritual and in the physical. 
And to the church that overcomes this thing, overcomes this principality, it says, and keeps my works until the end. To him, watch this, we're going into MK 16, 15 again. It says, to him, I will give power over the nations. Now, this is really key right here. It says he, this is speaking of Jesus from uh, Psalms chapter 2, verse 9, says he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. This is speaking of Christ's dominion over the nations. Verse 28, and I will give him, uh, sorry, verse, sorry, the rest of that, as I have, have, I have received from my father. I'm sorry, I'm stumbling a little bit, but I want to say this. Jesus is saying this, if you can make a decision in the you know, blind of the sand, we are not going to tolerate this kind of pressure on our church. We are not going to tolerate Jezebel in our, in our meetings. We're not going to tolerate Jezebel in our home. We're not going to tolerate Jezebel in the mirror. We're not going to, we're not going to tolerate this thing when we wake up. We're not going to tolerate it when we go to bed. Our houses are going to be in order and our church is going to be in order. And we're going to be vessels of righteousness that God can use. Okay. Jesus says this. If you can do that, he says, I will give you the authority the Father gave me over the nations. Ask of me, and I will give you, what is it, the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. But the concept is this. This is a prayer. It's a prophecy of Christ praying. It's a prayer Jesus never prayed. Uh, the, the famous uh, Ugandan pastor Jackson Sanyanga said this to us one time. He said, he said, if it's a prophecy about Jesus, if it's a prayer that Christ was given to pray, but Christ did not pray it, that means Christ did not receive it. If Christ did not pray it, it was on purpose so that the church could pray it, so that the church could receive it on behalf of Christ. So Psalms 2.8, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. That's our prayer on behalf of Jesus. On behalf, it's our gift to the, to the Lamb. It's our wedding gift to the Lamb. Here are the nations. He says, you will not be able to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth unless you have authority in those places that you go. And he says, whether you realize or not, the big hindrance between you having authority enough to reach the nations is that you allow this mess called Jezebel. And he says, because to take the nations will take great authority in the spirit. And he says, Jezebel emasculates authority. If we don't have strong leaders, we cannot have strong churches. If we do not have strong churches, we cannot have strong missions. If we do not have strong missions, we will not reach souls in the nations. If we do not reach the souls in the nations, we have nothing to offer the Lamb. In perspective, it seems a little more important than we want to give it time. But the thing I want to point out most as we go to Acts chapter 16, and then we'll go over to one other scripture. I just prophesy right now that some of you are going to listen to this CD a year from now, and you're going to hear it like you've never heard it before, and suddenly it's going to go in, and you're going to think, why didn't I hear that that day? And you're going to see it without the hindrance, and it's going to, ha- it's going to be like gold to you. And so I'm going to right now preach for your future ears. Because if you do not have ears to hear it today, I'm still going to preach on your behalf so that the day they open, you'll have something to hear. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 16, we're familiar with this. It's the spirit of Pythos that works very closely with the spirit of Jezebel. It says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination. That's the word Python, uh, Pythos in the Greek, and it is a territorial spirit that protects uh, the oracle of Delphi. It's a pagan religion. And it says, and she met us who brought, and she brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most 
Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. The significance here, uh, let's go over to Acts, the last chapter. Let's, let's head over there. Acts chapter 20, uh, is it 4? 28, 28. Acts chapter 28, uh, verse 1. We see, a, we see something significant in Revelation 2 about Jezebel, in Acts chapter 16 about this woman with the spirit of, of Pythos, and then we see another significance here in Acts chapter 28. It says, now when they had escaped, this is speaking of Paul and his people, they'd been in a shipwreck when they escaped from the sea. It says, they found that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer who, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. I, I would love to, to hang out there. But let's go to Matthew chapter 14, and we'll wrap them all up together. There's a, there's a trait in all three of these stories. Sorry, chapter 15. Verse 7, speaking to the Pharisees. Please, please focus right now. Uh, it says this, and this is, this is where we kind of want to land right now, because we have the story of Jezebel, we have the story of the woman with the spirit of pythos, divination, and then we have these natives who are, say, are making a judgment on Paul. And it says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If you look at Revelation 2, you find a woman in the church that is not professing paganism. She is confessing Christianity, even though she's a devil. Okay. So uh, Jezebel doesn't ever come out in the open. It's always masqueraded in religiosity. Everything's perfect on the outside, but it's a whitewashed tomb, and still there's dead men, dead men's bone on the inside. Okay. There's death on the inside, even though the outside is great and li alive and beautiful, but there's something wrong, and it takes a true man of God to say there's something wrong there. And while everyone else in the church tends to follow like sheep a spirit of Jezebel, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the person sitting next to you, that many people in the church are very apt to, they will follow something and never think anything about it. It takes a man or a woman of God to say, I, don't, I, I remember <laughs> Pastor Andrew one time said to someone, I don't know what you're doing, but stop it. You know. And I thought, I know exactly what you mean by that. Uh, because it was a form of witchcraft, and everyone around was like, Pastor Andrew, why are you yelling at this person? Why are you being so strong-willed about it? Why are, you, why are you picking a fight when there is no fight? And I'm, I'm with him going, yeah, there's a problem there. And everyone's like, Pastor Cletus, are you, are you telling me? Are, are, you're on Pastor Andrew's side. I'm like, I see what he sees, and you don't. And we're very uh, easily dragged away if we don't live in the place of discernment and wisdom. That every, I'm telling you, again, I say it so much, not everything that sparkles is gold. You have to have some wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is very quick to say, that's not the truth. And so Jezebel does not show up as a pagan, although she is. She shows up, shows up as a Christian. Okay. There was a story that I don't have any apology for telling right now. But a few years ago, we had someone come to our church and worshiping their brains out. I mean, like, just Jesus. And I am on the platform, like, there's something seriously devilish about this moment. 
And everyone's like, what? I even confronted the situation. They're like, what are you? She's, she's really great. She's really awesome. I was like, there's something wrong with, there's a, there's a problem here. And everyone's like, Pastor Cletus, you're so mean. Uh, the phone call the next morning, I wish the whole church could have heard. When I heard what this woman did, when I heard what she did to someone in our church, when I heard the level of sexual morality that they drew someone away with, and I said, I knew they were a devil, and everyone said, even after the fact defended her. I said that lady's a Jezebel. She's trying to get at all of our leaders. She's trying to mess with some of our people. Couldn't get to our leaders, found someone else. Next morning, I'm getting phone calls from the person. From the, I mean, it was a, a giant mess. And the whole time I thought, that was a setup from the devil. How could no one see that? And then the problem is we're being conditioned to not listen to our leaders who see it. I called it. I mean, I, it's like, that's a duck. It's a duck. It sounds like a duck. It is a duck. It looks like a duck. It is a duck. It's, it is. I mean, I see it. I see it. And everyone's like, Pastor Cletus. What are you doing? On one of our MK1615 trips, someone said, man, I see a problem with this person. We need to deal with it. Every, I mean, I had people calling me. You guys are so mean. Well, a month later, the person's a Buddhist. Who saw something? And, and it was one of our pastors said, there's a problem here. I'm talking all hell broke loose because we confronted. And who was the bad guy? Oh, Pastor Cleus is the bad guy. I mean, I was accused of everything you could imagine. And when it came down to it, a month later, I'm like, where's my party to say that I saw it? I mean, nobody, nobody has that day, okay? Come on, why don't you celebrate me like you beat me up, like somebody, okay? And, and, and so you, you need a man. You, sometimes we need to say, I'm, gonna, I'm going to honor authority, not because they're great, but because they have an ear at the right time in the right place that could help me out a lot. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said, don't stress out your pastors, basically. He's like, because that won't help you. He's like, they're, try- they're trying to protect your souls. They're trying to help you. And I- I've seen so many things like this over the years. And I'm like, how can no one see this? And it's because Je- you have to know a thing in the spirit. Jezebel never comes in saying, you, by the way, my name is Jezebel, you know. I was born with that name. Don't think much of it. You know, I, my last name is Witch. Okay, I, I'm just, don't be freaked out. It's just happenstance, okay? No, but there's, there's something about these situations. You have to know a thing. And she always comes in as a Christian voice, but it takes a man. It is not easily seen. But it takes a man or woman of God to go, that's it right there. And then it takes a congregation who wants to see revival and wants to see missions such the ends of the world say, All right, pastor, we believe it. And then thirdly, it takes a person that's being afflicted by the spirit to go, if you're saying that to me, I receive it and I will not fight it and I repent. Because here's the problem with Jezebel. Very few people ever get delivered from it. It's like, I'll say this, it's super rare. And very few times has a church ever outlasted it. Uh, But I have a plan that's bigger than the statistics, so... Just because your just because your ship went down doesn't mean I have the same hole in mine. Okay, I, I, we're gonna we're gonna outlast. Amen. Uh, we'll make it through. We will stand fast, hold fast, and we will outlast. And so, uh, but it's serious because if you're afflicted by this, you have to be okay. You're dealing with something so big. If that's going on in your life, you can't be like, well, I think things are better now. I've been working things out. I'm trying better. You can't you can't try better. You, are you kidding me? You can't. That's like trying to save yourself. 
You have to say, Lord, you are Lord of everything in my life. I repent. I let go. I can be confronted. God, please confront me. Lord, if this is me, I need to come to the place of repentance. I need to repent until I don't know what to repent of anymore. God, break it. Father, kill that part of me. Get rid of it. Deliver me. I'm not going to sleep until I know it's gone. You have to be militant. Jezebel loves for you to think you're having good days. Like, oh, Friday was good. And then I came to church and everything was bad. And like, and Jezebel loves that up and down. Everything's in peace. Everything's in chaos. Everything's good. Everything's bad. And we have to be militant on being delivered. And so then in Acts chapter 16, it's also significant that the lady is like, they are the servants of the most high God. They're telling us how to get right with God. They're telling us the way of salvation. And everyone for many days, including Paul's companions, Deliverance Bible Church, they were like, sounds good to me. This is that part where we all go to sleep. This is that part, isn't it? Where our whole church goes to sleep. Throwing you the lifeline, and this is the part where the enemy's like, don't listen. We used to have five hours me- five hour meetings around here, like nothing. Now, if I preach more than 30 minutes, I've lost the entire room. It's not because you can't listen, and it's not because I can't preach. It's because we're touching a subject matter that the enemy does not want you to listen to. And doesn't want me to talk about because the way you get rid of these things, you talk about them. Uh, if you are living a life of like, well, I don't want to talk about that, you're going to keep your problems. And as a church, we're not going to not talk about this. We're going to talk about it until there's nothing to talk about anymore. And so in Acts chapter 16, you see the same thing. You see a religious spirit. The core of it is religion. Then you get over to Acts chapter 28. It's so funny because these, these pagan, they're like from some, at the time, an island in the middle of nowhere. They have made up their own gods. They are paganistic in every way. And then for some reason, Paul gets a viper on him, and they're like, I'll tell you what's happening right here. This is called judgment. And they suddenly have this, like, higher thought of, like, who's good, who's bad, who's a sinner, who's righteous. And they instantly go, we pass judgment on the man of God. They are instantly in a religious mode saying, well, here's the deal. He's this. All three times you have religious talk. And you have all three times dead people. That their inner man is dead. And he says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I'll say it again. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but, but their heart, their heart, the truth of who they are is far from me. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Are you familiar with it? You can turn there if you want to. I'll read it word for word so I don't miss something. Acts chapter 3, 19 starts. The first verb is repent, I believe, right? Repent, therefore, and be converted. Peter is talking to Jewish people on their way to the temple. He is saying, you are going to God's house, and you are doing God's stuff, but you are so lost. And the root of all of this is, will our church be willing again, like I did between 2007 and 2009, can you handle examining yourself, according to 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and testing yourself and saying, am I really all that I'm cracked up to be? Am I what, is my confession the truth of my heart? Or am I trying to get by and live in a religious form that no one will know about, but not realizing God is completely aware of it? 
and it says, repent, therefore, and be converted. That means that if I'm delivered, if I'll just even talk in this, this area. If I'm delivered from the spirit of Jezebel, everyone around me will know it. If our church gets set free from this pressure in the spirit, everyone in our church will feel the benefits of it. Let me ask you, wives, we've been talking about wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. Would you uh, be so blunt, women in the room, to say that's been difficult? Anyone in the room? You're like, come on, be honest. Like, it's been difficult. I have two, three, four, come on. All the rest of the wives are like, this is so easy. Anyone else? You, you, it's just, okay. So, so now turn to your husband and say, ask him what he thinks about it. Ask him if he, if he thinks it's been easy for you. Okay, women that are looking forward to getting married, does the thought of wives submit to your husbands, you know, put a smile on your face? Or does it cause a difficulty of thought, you know? Uh, where'd you guys go? What I'm saying is I know the truth is that every time I talk to a couple up close, they say, we know this is the right thing to do, but it's the hardest thing we've ever done. Can I tell you this, that anything God tells you to do, there's grace attached to it? So if it's becoming the hardest thing that's ever done, that tells you that either you don't believe it or there's a pressure against you doing it. When you come in as a born-again Christian and you raise your hands and you say, worship is so difficult right now, either he's not Lord of your life or something is trying to stop you from doing that. But come on, giving the gospel to someone on the streets is the easiest thing a born-again Christian can ever do. And if that's a conflict for your life, either you don't believe it, either you're not right with God, or there's something trying to stop you. You're in one side or the other. It has to be one. If you're c- telling everyone you're a Christian, that these are, e- these are outflows of who we are. If you go to prayer and you can't pray, that's not normal. Either you don't believe in the God you're praying to or there's something trying to stop you from praying. You have to identify this. And I believe that if we could break this thing from our church, all these things that seem so difficult will not and cannot stay difficult. I asked a few weeks ago, how many of you have been going through confusion? And I, I gave this big list of pressures and almost the entire church raised their hand. And then I said, that's not normal. Christians that are born again, they're filled with the Spirit, they're washed in the blood, on their way to heaven. We don't go through that kind of stuff. We have power over that. Have you realized for 18 months I've been preaching faith that overcomes the enemy? Has anyone made some notes and realized, why do you think I'm feeding you with these things like Luke 10? Uh, you, have, you, have authority, you have authority over these things. Why do you think I'm preaching these things? Because I'm trying to help you with what I know you're going through and you shouldn't be going through. But when it comes down to it, how can an entire church be confessing the word but still having difficulty unless there's something causing pressure? I wish I had somebody in the room that cared enough about their future to open their ears and open their mouth and receive the word of God and put it in practice. I'm telling you, there's a devil loose. And we're, for some reason, we're being conditioned to allow it. I don't know why. It's so personal feeling to us when I bring it up. We're like, what's pastor so mad about? I'm mad that you're in struggles. I'm upset that you're still halfway dying on the way to church. I'm still upset that you're not seeing breakthrough, that you're not being prospered, that you're still sick with the old sickness, that you're still fighting with your spouse. I'm tired of this. Your children are under pressure because of what's going on at home. I'm sick of it on your behalf. That's what I'm mad about. And every time I try to put my finger on this thing, something comes over our church and says, don't think about it, push it out. What's he talking about, Jezebel, something? It's something that's strangling our church. And I have been, I'm telling you, Lord Jesus, help me. Lord Jesus, help me. Because I'm telling you that I've pastored this church long enough to know when it's broken. 
I know, I know what it's supposed to look like. And I know what it currently looks like. And I've been feeding you for a year and a half, like faith, come on, faith. And then it got to me where I went, Lord, why is this working? He's like, you're dealing with a principality. He says, you got, he goes in 2013, something swept in this church. But I know that when I came back in 2014, I was like, something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong. Something is, and and we've been like drudging, trying to get through this thing. We're like, God, come on, where's the breakthrough? And we're seeing ups and then we see downs and then we see ups and then we see downs. I was like, that's not normal. I know this church. I, I know these people, you know, like I know who you are and I'm not seeing who you are. Come on, I know how this, I know that how this is supposed, we're, we're a three-wheeled car right now. Come on. We're doing our best, but we're doing donuts in the parking lot. Okay, like we're not getting anywhere, amen? We're trying, we're trying, we're trying. But that means that as a church, we have to unite. Acts chapter 2, they came together in one accord, man. That's when the Holy Spirit could use a people. When are we as a united body going to get sick and tired of this? Uh, you know, years ago, I remember me and my wife were talking about Actually, this subject, this is years ago. And we were talking about why should we tolerate the devil being our house just because we're related to him, you know. Seriously, we were like, we were like, we would never spend time with this person if they didn't share our last name. Like, why in the world, why do we keep opening the door and letting him sit at our table and eat meals with us and have these conversations? I'm like, this is insane. This is totally insane. And they bring all their, their nasty baggage with them. And when they cut, you know, we have to prepare ourselves for two days before they walk in the door. And then we have to spend two weeks trying to get rid of it all after they leave. And then they come right back at right about the time we get free. Here they come again. Oh, man. And we let ourselves do it. And my children are being affected. My life's being affected. And I'd be so frustrated. I'd punch holes in the wall. I'm like, I can't take this anymore. Why is it? Why do we keep allowing this? And, and it got to this point where the reason we allowed it is because it was, it was scary to confront it. I mean, it's scary to confront the problem. And that's because Jezebel has a way of turning it all back on you and has a way of putting fear. I mean, if there's a person in your life that you're scared to say, hey, don't do that, there is a major problem there. It's not a little problem. It's a large problem because that person will, through their disapproval, through their pressure of emotions, they will actually keep you from fulfilling the God-ordained call on your life. Because they'll say, well, I don't like that. Why are you doing that? And they'll actually try to minimize you and bring your authority down. Instead of, you know, go for it. Do it. Uh, I remember years ago, I think it was like Paula White. She said, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated, you know. And there's this place where, I mean, you get what I'm saying. It's like, if you're not spending time with people, if the people you spend time with are not uplifting the call of God on your life. Can I even say this to all my, my pastors I have here? If you have people in your life that don't like your ministry, don't hang out with those people. They're like, are you still hanging? Are you still you still working for Deliverance Bible Church? You're like, I have no time for this. This is, no, you're dealing with my future. You're dealing with my calling. You're you're not gonna make me feel bad about where who God says I am and where God says I'm going. You're not gonna do that to me. And and so there has to be confrontation. Uh, husbands and wives, I want to challenge you to go home tonight, get in the car, confront each other, confront the problem, confront the situation, deal with it openly. Uh, for anyone else that's been struggling with this, don't go to bed and say, well, I hope it works out. Confront it. Confront it. Confront. If you're dealing with it in your own life, stand in the mirror tonight and be like, I don't know what's going on right here, but God confront me because I don't want this to tamp. I don't want this to mess with my future or anyone else's future. It's a serious deal. It's a serious problem. If this weren't happening, man, I could just teach on, you know, I could just teach on the blessing all the time again. And if this weren't, ha- if I, if I, as your pastor, didn't see this so clearly right now, I, I wouldn't be touching it. 
That's not who I am. I don't want to start fights that don't exist. Uh, but I believe we need to deal with this. And if we're going to put Jesus at the head of this church again, we're going to have to pull down anything that would compete with him. Let's stand to our feet, and we're going to do what it takes, you know. So if you're here today, and you're like, man, I think this is afflicting me, or maybe I'm working in it. This is that place where you get before the Lord and just say, Lord, just deal with me. Lord, just deal with me. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, right now as a united body, we just pull down anything that would be exalting itself against, you know, the knowledge of who you are in our lives or truth. And we just pull that down right now in Jesus' name. We, we cast down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the truth of God. We pull down every stronghold and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we give you glory. We declare your lordship over our lives right now. We declare your lordship over our lives. We declare your lordship over this church. And God, through all this preaching, through all this prayer, we're looking for the freedom of the captives. We're not looking to cast somebody out. We're not, and that's not the goal of this, Lord. It's to see families free. It's to see individuals free. It's to see generations to come free. It's to see a church that is prepared and ready and available for revival. And so, Lord, we ask right now that, that you would put pressure on what's been putting pressure on us, that you would bring this thing to a head right now, that you would bring it in such clarity that we could never uh, look at it the same way, God, that we could see, you know, any open doors. We would see any activity in our lives, and you would give us the grace and the ability to deal with it. And so right now, we as a church, we break agreement with the work of the enemy. We break agreement with Jezebel, with Pythos, with, with any of these demonic strongholds. We break that agreement right now, uh, and we just renounce it. And Jesus, we give you the glory. And we just put you at the top of everything we do, Lord Jesus. We, we put that name at the top of everything we do right now. And we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise.